and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Good morning, NFC East. Welcome to this Tuesday, August 30th. It's cut down day, everybody. Uh, I'm sure Eagles fans, Cowboys fans, Commanders fans, Giants fans, we're going to have a good time today uh, talking about the cut downs, who's going to make the roster bubble, whatnot. Um, I don't want to focus too much on the 53 though. I'm sure you guys aren't really concerned about the Jaquiski Tarts of the world, who, by the way, was cut yesterday. Eagles fans would know that. Um, he is available, though. So, once again, I am Jeff Kerr uh, from CBS Sports. I'm the host of Good Morning NFC East. And I wanted to start with the Tart situation since I brought it up. Eagles fans did not want to hear this from me, from John McMullen, from any beat writer over the last two, three weeks. Jaquiski Tart was on the second and third team. He wasn't making this team. I mean, it, and I was stupid. Uh, I got to give myself, you know, I, I just got to say, I put him on the 53 because I thought their safety position was so bad. They needed a veteran anyway. Yeah, that was a mistake. Because um, my initial 53-man roster projection came out last week, I had Tart cut. And for all those reasons, he was on second and 13. He left the team for personal reasons. When he came back, he never, he never challenged Marcus Epps for a starting job like he was brought in to do. And, yeah, you can't even blame Howie Roseman for it because it was a late June signing, no harm, no foul. You just don't guarantee the, I think it was 550K, maybe 500,000 he was going to make. So no harm, no foul. But the problem is, what do you do at safety now? What does this football team do? This safety position is going to cost the Eagles the NFC East. I, I'm dead serious on this. Like, who do you got? Marcus Epps is your best safety, and I really like Marcus Epps. I'm happy for him. He's got a starting job, lap and coverage, playing the box. Really good fit in Jonathan Gant's defense. Really improved his stock from being a 2019 six-round pick from Minnesota. So, you know, just go off the, the waiver wire. Mar Marcus Epps, claimed by the Eagles. Really everybody knows Marcus Epps before last year as the guy who happened to cover DK Metcalf in that playoff game when Russell Wilson threw the 40-yard bomb. And that wasn't fair to Marcus Epps. Like, I'm sure not a lot of people knew who Marcus Epps was at the time, even Eagles fans. But Marcus Epps is their best safety. Bottom line, he's their best safety. Anthony Harris, again, I had no problem with the Eagles bringing him back. I thought they should have brought back either Harris or Rodney McLeod, one of the two, just because of the safety position. They brought back Harris. I'm okay with that. It's fine. Uh, I'm more than okay with it. I thought Anthony Harris would have more competition, though, for his job. Whether it was Kayvon Wallace. They had to move Josiah Scott over from cornerback to safety. Very versatile. By the way, Josiah Scott's going to make this team because of that. They're not deep at safety, and you can 
play him as a six cornerback, four for fifth safety, good on special teams. Eagles really like his versatility. So Jaquan, I mean, Jaquan's a target. <laughs> Sorry. Josiah Scott's got to make this team. Josiah Scott's got to make the team. So, but Kayvon Wallace, I've been disappointed in him. I like Kayvon Wallace. I think he's a good guy. Fun on Twitter, very engaging with the fans. But that just doesn't break bread or make plays. And I know it was Tyreek Hill. I get it. Saturday night. But Kayvon Wallace was so out of position on that play, it wasn't even funny. I'm going to say this right now. A lot of the players you saw play on Saturday night in that Eagles preseason finale against the Dolphins, that 48-10 blowout, there's a lot of them that will not be on this team come 4-0-1 today. Jason Huntley had a good preseason finale. He's gone. Eagles decided to get rid of him. Jaquaski Tart. Oh, he played, he played, he played. Yeah, he played. He played the second and third teamers. Just never got, you know, just never got going here. It's a shame because Jaquaski Tart's a veteran safety and there's a need for them in this league, but just didn't work out in Philadelphia where he just couldn't adjust the Jonathan Gann scheme or whatever. But I thought Kayvon Wallace would be one of those people that would take that step and he just hasn't done it. I mean, whatever. Fourth round pick. 2020. It it's fine. But the Eagles need death there. Badly. And where are you getting that from? You got that, you got Harris. I'm assuming Kayvon Wallace just makes the team by default. Again, this can change because I think the Eagles are going to be active. They're going to be active in trying to improve the safety position. Oh, then we got to talk about one of my favorite players from camp, Reed Blankenship. The guy from Middle Tennessee, I, I thought he had a tremendous preseason. I thought it was good enough to make the team. In fact, Reed Blankenship is probably the reason Jaquaski Tar is not a Philadelphia Eagle. Who would have thought that a month ago? But Reed Blankenship is in prime position to make this team. If he doesn't make this team, it's because the Eagles think they can get him on the practice squad. But the way the safety position is set up, Reed Blankenship should be on the 53-man roster. Bottom line, Reed Blankenship should be on the 53-man roster. I think he's good enough, especially at that position. So I have Reed Blankenship make the team, but I had Tart make the team too. So we'll see. But I think Reed Blankenship has been good enough. I'm not even basing it off preseason games. I'm basing it off camp. I'm basing it off what I've heard in joint practices. I like Reed Blankenship's chances to make this football team today. And that would be good for the Eagles because they need young diamonds in the rough like him. I'm not saying he's going to be a stud. not saying he's going to be this all-world player, but I think he could really help that safety position this year. And he can help them on special teams. So where do the Eagles go? Are we going to wait for someone for them to pretty much get cut? Again, I I, I don't know. Um, trade market. People keep talking. They were talking about Jesse Bates for weeks. He wasn't going anywhere. He's still not going anywhere. Jesse Bates was going to sign his franchise tender. I I always joke that sometimes these guys just don't want to go through the grind of camp. And, yeah, I'm sure the Bengals, they may have entertained some trade offers. I doubt, though, because most teams are set up in cast space, and Jesse Bates makes a lot of money once he signs his franchise tag. He's going to be one of the top five pay safeties in football, which he did. I don't know if the Bengals can sign him long term, 
But a team that has a Super Bowl window is not trading one of its best players on defense. They're just not. They have Joe Burrow on a rookie contract. They can afford to keep Jesse Bates this year. So that whole Jesse Bates going to the Eagles thing, I, sorry, wasn't happening. You can't link every safety. You can't link any player to your team just because they're available. So that's the safety position in Philadelphia. That's their weakness. We know the we know the weakness in Dallas is the offensive line. It's going to Giants' weakness, wide receiver. And I pulled up their fifty three here, and. I got to take a look at this real quick because some of these names, I know them, but maybe you guys don't. So let's take a look here. Obviously, Kenny Galladay is going to make this team. I, I hate to say it because if Kenny Galladay, if it didn't cost the Giants $35 million in dead cap to get rid of him, I think he'd be gone. But he's here. Kenny Galladay is going to be in New York, so he'll make the team. Darius Tony's going to make the team, although he's injured. I, I'm assuming he'll be back for week one. We'll have to hear from Brian Dable, see what happens there. Sowing Shepard's going to open the year on the pup list. I think that's a big loss for them. Uh, Wendell Robinson has looked pretty impressive in camp. The, the kid from Kentucky, I don't know if he's going to make an impact right away. I think it might take him a little bit of time in his rookie year, but the Giants may need him. David Sills had a good camp. I think he makes it. Uh, Richie James, special teamer. Again, you're going to ask him to play a big role here. Giants are in trouble wide receiver. They're in big trouble wide receiver. And does not help your young quarterback. Quarterback they don't really want anyway. I don't think Brian Dable wants him. I don't think Joe Shem wants him. If you did want him, why would Tyrod Taylor be taking snaps with the first team before his injury the other day. So Daniel Jones, again, I, I think Daniel Jones gets about maybe half the year, three quarters of the year, but he's a lame duck at quarterback, and he doesn't have much to throw to here. And the Giants are thinking of trading Darius Slayton. In fact, he is on the trade block right now. They're leading receiver two of the past three years. By the way, Darius Slayton was a pretty good football player before Jason Garrett became the offensive coordinator two years ago. And Jason Garrett's gone. He's on NBC now. You can see why. I mean, Darius Slayton was a good deep ball threat. And he was a nice little fifth-round pick for them. One of the few Dave Gellman got right. And now he might be cut or traded. That's insane. If I'm any team in the NFC East right now, if I'm Dallas Cowboys, I'm calling. I'm calling Darius Slayton's agents. Be like, hey, man, wait till you get cut. We'll bring you in. We need a little bit of help there for the time being. We need a deep threat. We got a pretty good passing game. We're going to throw the ball. I think there will, there will be teams interested in Darius Slayton. I just don't think they'll actually trade for him. But we'll see. I mean, 4 o'clock's a long way away. But I don't get why the Giants would cut him. I just don't understand. The guy had over 700 receiving yards through the last three years. He had a bad year last year. Guess what? Everybody on the Giants had a bad year last year. That team was a joke. They're going to be a joke this year, unfortunately, but I like the direction they're going in. And they're trying to build their roster in what Brian Dable wants and Joe Shem wants, and that's fine. I think they need the franchise quarterback to do that first, but there are some parts like on the Giants. Wide receiver is not one of them, unfortunately. 
And again, I like the direction this team is going, but I think I just think they're gonna have to take their lumps in 2022. But I still think you shouldn't get rid of good players, and Darius Slayton's one of them. I still hope for the guy. I really do. I I think Darius Slayton can be a good contributor this year. So we'll go with Darius Slayton. I, I think he should make the team, but we'll see. It doesn't look like it, at least from the reports we're hearing. Alex Bachman had a good camp. Again, you guys don't know too much about him. Man, I just look at the Giants at wide receiver right now and their injuries, and it doesn't look good. <laughs> it just doesn't look good for them. It's tough. It's tough. I, I will admit it's tough. So those are two weaknesses there. Eagles at safety, Giants at wide receiver. We talked about Dallas on the offensive line. Dallas is going to go in-house, by the way. They're going to go in-house. It's going to be probably, I mean, my guess is it's going to be Tyler Smith at left tackle. I think that's who they're ultimately going to go with. I said this yesterday. And Connor McGovern at guard. It's probably your best bet. I know Terrence Steele moving from right tackle to left tackle because he was a swing tackle and he kind of still is in a, in a sense. Yeah, that would make some, some sense, but do you really want to put Bell out there, Josh Bell? Matt Hoziko, who started Saturday in the preseason finale, he, he's not ready. Again, you have Connor McGovern there. You might as well just start him. He's had a good camp. Just play him at left guard and move Smith over and take your lumps. And trial by fire anyway. He he was drafted to be the replacement. Future is now. So I think that's what the Cowboys have to do there. You still got Zach Martin. Again, there's reason for concern on this offensive line, Dallas. Obviously, no Tyron Smith, but there's hope. There's hope. Now, Washington. And thank God Brian Robinson's going to be okay. You know, it's not a life-threatening injury. He might even play this year. Washington's not ruling that out. But I'll tell you what, it, man, it, it just sucks. You know, the whole situation sucks. Brian Robinson was probably going to start on this football team. They, man, they really liked him. They really liked him in camp. He's He had a good camp. And just unfortunate circumstances that happened there. Glad to hear. Uh, by the way, I thought it was awesome Ron Rivera was wearing the orange. Um, if you guys remember, um, you Philly guys, when the Eagles wore um, orange numbers on the practice jerseys, I think it was a mini camp to you know promote the end of gun violence. Ron Rivera did that yesterday during his press conference. I thought it was pretty cool. Ron Rivera's a really good guy, and it's hard to root against. And... I just love how um, Jonathan Allen went up to the podium yesterday and said, look, it's a non-life, it's not a life-threatening injury. Man, good. I, I was so happy to hear that. I, I was really happy to hear that. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk more commanders later in the week. But we got our first guest coming today, Matt Lombardo from Heavy.com, senior NFL writer from Heavy.com. Uh, he had some news that came out yesterday that, might intrigue some Eagles fans here. When we come back, Matt comes on.
Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Plan your day with confidence. Definitely want to keep the umbrellas on hand. And keep your family safe with Action News and AccuWeather. Numerous tornadoes. Well over seven inches of rain. Your go-to team when severe weather strikes. The water is still rising right now. Keeping you prepared wherever you watch. On TV, on 6abc.com and on our streaming apps. And that's when we go severe weather mode and on the air for you. Action News and AccuWeather, the team you trust. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the pulls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. present at Lombardo from heavy.com lead NFL writer there NFL insider whatever we want to call you today Matt how's it going my friend both titles work great Jeff happy to be here good morning and you know certainly with the season right around the corner a lot of intriguing storylines starting to develop around the NFC East oh absolutely but the the first one I wanted to mention to you was certain Vikings running back might be traded today uh you want to tell me about that yeah, you know, talking to league sources yesterday, um, Addison, Matt, Alexander Madison, one of their running backs out of Minnesota, talking to multiple sources, they told me that the Vikings aren't quote-unquote actively shopping Madison, but they are listening to any and all offers. And there was some reporting out of Minnesota that up to 16 teams had already reached out to the Vikings, kicking the tires. Now, I'm not sure what the value is here. I don't know if they can net anything more than – a fourth round pick at most, because as we both know, running back isn't exactly a premium position in the NFL. But I think that the Eagles are a team that, as I reported a couple of times throughout this summer, have been actively shopping for a veteran running back that, you know, adding an insurance policy on Miles Sanders, given the nagging injuries that plagued him a year ago, um, given some of the uncertainty about the backs they have on the roster behind Miles Sanders, it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles jump in here. 
And it wouldn't surprise me if they kicked the tires on someone like Sonny Michelle, who was just released by the Miami Dolphins yesterday. Veteran running back, still plenty of tread on the tires because, as we all know, in New England, they don't necessarily use a bell cow. So he spent a lot of his career in a timeshare situation. And both of these guys, whether it's Alexander Madison or Sonny Michelle, they both catch the ball out of the backfield, which is kind of a prerequisite to Nick Sirianni's offense. So I think that these are two names that the Eagles are going to be watching either via the waiver wire or trying to beat the wire by getting in touch with the Vikings. Now, if you're the Vikings too, I think you would take a fourth round pick for Madison just because the comp selection, uh, you know, we're going to compensatory picks here, but he's probably going to be worth a third or a fourth because I think he can be a feature back in this league. No, I agree. And you look at his season last year, you know, caught the ball out of the backfield a little bit. He had something like 10 explosive runs of 10 yards or more. You know, they have their bell cow in Dalvin Cook. And, you know, I spoke to an NFC South player last week who told me that the Vikings are a team to watch in the NFC North, that they could jump up and surprise a team like the Packers, that they love the pieces they have in place there. And Madison is one of these guys who's kind of the odd man out. But I think you're right. I think that if you look across the league, there are probably four, five, six, seven teams where he would jump to the, the top of the depth chart or at minimum be a handcuff to your starter. And I think the Eagles are in that sort of a situation. And I wouldn't rule out a team like the Commanders, especially after the tragic situation with Brian Robinson over the weekend. Those are two teams that I think could, could be involved here and definitely be in the mix. So let's entertain this year. Eagles get Alexander Madison, or the Commanders get Alexander Madison. Where does Madison, pretty much, where does he go with the Eagles? How does he fit in? Same with the Commanders. Yeah, I think with the Eagles, it's a little bit of a situation, a different situation than in Washington. I think that the Eagles are still going to give Miles Sanders every opportunity to be the feature back. And I think that behind that offensive line, with improved play from Jalen Hurts, you know, he's a guy that I think if he stays healthy could push for 1,200 yards and Madison coming in there either in two back sets or you do some different things, putting one of them in the slot in a four wide receiver stack or both on the field at the same time. I think that's more of a backfield timeshare situation similar to what we saw in Minnesota. If the commanders get involved here, you know, we've seen Antonio Gibson kind of tumble down the depth chart, kind of fall out of favor with that coaching staff. And all reports were that, you know, before the, the, the incident over the weekend, Brian Robinson was going to be splitting carries or at the top of the depth chart by himself. So I think that if Alexander Madison winds up in Washington, there's a real chance he's running back one week one for the commanders. And we mentioned Antonio Gibson. What I've been hearing is the fumbles. The fumbles are the biggest issue with him, but what has caused his stock to drop besides the fumbles? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's the ball security issues. And, you know, I think that they had a lot higher expectations for him than he showed them when he arrived in Washington. But I still think there's a lot of talent there. I think he's a guy that you need to figure out how to use him. You need to get him the ball in space. I think what he did at Memphis, he was, you know, as prolific a receiver as he was a runner. And I just haven't seen that really translate to the NFL in Washington's offense. So I think that he's one of those guys that the talent is there. They just have to figure out the usage, and he needs to figure out how to protect the football. When we talk commanders, obviously we're going to discuss Carson Wentz because this is his third team in three years. He's going to be the first quarterback ever, I believe, to start for three different teams in three consecutive years before turning 30. Is this it for him? I think it's the last shot. I think it's the last stop before you head onto the train of veteran backup if he wants to go down that road. And I don't know that his ego 
would allow him to go down that road. And listen, I was in that locker room every day from, you know, his rookie season through the Eagles Super Bowl run. I don't know that he has it in him to be that veteran backup, to be, you know, the, the next guy who goes from team to team to team as the backup quarterback, the Nick Foles path, if you will. Um, but but I think that the commanders have built a really nice supporting cast around him. I really love the receiving duo of Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. I think they're both really complimentary pieces. Uh, McLaurin might be one of the more underrated receivers in the NFL. I think the offensive line still has a ways to go, especially after you lose someone like Brandon Scherf. But, you know, the Commanders, to me, are one of these really fascinating teams. They have all this talent on defense in the front seven. They have some really nice weapons. Carson Wentz should be an upgrade over the quarterback situation they had a year ago. But I don't know that it's going to matter. And I don't know that there's much more out of Carson Wentz than what we saw a year ago, especially how it ended in Indianapolis, where all you had to do was go down in week 18 and knock off the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you're going to the postseason. And he had one of the worst games of his career. So I just don't know that Carson Wentz has it in those big moments. I think the rest of the league recognizes that. And I think this is the make or break situation for Carson Wentz as a starting quarterback in the NFL. You were front and center for Carson Wentz's rise, for his fall. What do you think happened to him? Was it just Nick Foles coming in there, taking over that team and winning the Super Bowl and everything just fell apart? You know, I think there's there's something to that, Jeff. I, I think that, you know, you started to hear some of the whispers after that Super Bowl run the following year where, where you know, he was kind of alienated from teammates, that they didn't necessarily – that some of the, the way he carried himself kind of turned some guys off and, and, and maybe it was the religion thing in the locker room and all of that. But, but I think that bigger picture – I think the injuries derailed him in a lot of ways because, you know, he was he was the MVP of the NFL when he dove for the goal line at the Coliseum in Los Angeles and tore his ACL. He was the MVP that year, and he had the Eagles in the position to go to the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know that that run plays out the same with Carson Wentz during the postseason because those two games from Nick Foles against Atlanta and Minnesota were among the more impressive quarterback performances we've seen in the postseason in a long time. You go to the following year where the Eagles, you know, still had both quarterbacks in place. You have the back injury from Carson Wentz and and Nick Foles goes into the postseason again. The following year, you have the concussion in the playoff game against the the Seattle Seahawks. I think the combination of not having the full backing and support of the locker room and the organization and then the compounding effect of the injuries, I think it took a significant toll. And, you know, I, I was one of the people who believed that you get him out of that situation where... You know, the last year and a half of his career in Philadelphia, it became obvious. And there were people who told me that, look, this guy doesn't respond to hard coaching. He plays best and they get the most out of him when they coach him hard and they ride him and they're critical of him and they correct the mistakes. But you get him out of that situation. You get him with Frank Reich. You get him with Jonathan Taylor. You get him behind arguably a top two offensive line or better in the NFL. Michael Pittman Jr., some really good wide receivers that, okay, with Frank Reich there, this thing could turn around for Carson Wentz. When that didn't happen, Jeff, that told me that, that this might be the end of the line in terms of Carson Wentz's chances of ever developing into a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. So this is what scares me with Carson Wentz, because there are times when he does figure it out, and he looks pretty good when he does it. Now he's got an offense where I'm thinking he could put up some numbers again, but overall, you're right, Matt. It just doesn't seem like it's – there's something missing there. What is missing in Washington's offense that maybe Carson Wentz can't succeed? 
Yeah, you know, we're going to find out. And we're, and we're going to find out that maybe what was missing was the quarterback. And, and maybe Carson Wentz being in this situation with the weapons around him in this scheme, maybe he's going to maximize that. Because I think, you know, the offensive line was certainly better both in Philadelphia and in Indianapolis, right? But, but I don't know that the receiving core that he has in Washington now, I don't know that that's not the best receiving core that he's had around him. And I think that they fit his skill set. And a lot of the reports out of Ashburn, Virginia this summer are that he's developed an instant rapport with Jahan Dotson. And then you have Terry McLaurin, who's a top 10 receiver or better in the NFL on the other side. You know, these are some game-breaking wide receivers. And Carson Wentz is going to have to put it together. But I'm not sure that we're going to find out exactly what's missing unless he elevates his game to that high level, because then we can just continue to point if he doesn't to the quarterback being the problem in Washington. And they're just going to have to go back to that well as a rookie quarterback or making another trade for a veteran something next year if this doesn't work out. You and I both saw Jahan Dotson the last three years at Penn State. We know how good he is. But I feel like he's kind of undervalued, underrated around the league. What do you think the ceiling is for him this year? Yeah, I think he's a guy that, you know, very underrated going into the draft. I think he has one of the more outrageous catch radiuses that we've seen in this draft class. He certainly is a really smooth route runner. I think he runs routes really similar to somebody like Devonta Smith in Philadelphia. He didn't get really that acclaim coming into the pre-draft process. But obviously, I think Washington saw on tape his ability as a big play playmaker in the passing game, his route running, his reliable hands. You know, in that scheme, in that offense, if they fall behind a lot and they're throwing a lot in the second half of games, I don't see why he can't be a guy who catches between – you know, I don't even like to throw a number of receptions out there, but produces 850 to 1,000 yards and five or six touchdowns as a rookie. Because I think that it's not just Jahan Dotson. I think that we're seeing, Jeff, around the NFL, whether it's Jamar Chase, whether it is Justin Jefferson, whether it is Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddell, we're seeing rookies arrive at that position more prepared than ever to be immediate high-impact players at the NFL level. And it all goes back to the fact that these kids are all playing basketball in high school in addition to football. They're, the seven-on-seven tournaments are way more competitive than ever in middle school and high school and getting ready to be recruited in college. The, the spread offenses are here to stay both in the NFL as they are in college. So it, it's no longer about receivers taking two, three years to develop and hit their peak. No, they're hitting their stride immediately year one as rookies. I think Dotson follows in those footsteps. I think he's a guy that could be an 850 to 1,000 yard receiver right out of the shoot. This is kind of an underrated storyline in the division too. And obviously because of the offensive line issues in Dallas, but could you name Dallas as backup quarterback right now? No, they just cut Ben DiNucci. I know that. <laughs> so, okay. and, and you know, and I'm not sure that I can name their, you know, number three receiver in that offense. And I think that, you know, the Cowboys are one of these really fascinating teams because they were built with a dominant offensive line, a dominant running game. I still think the running game is going to be fine with the duo of Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, maybe in that order this year. But when you lose the production of Amari Cooper and you don't necessarily replace it in the NFL draft and one of the more historic draft classes at the position that we've seen in some time in a long run of great wide receiver positions, I don't think they did enough around Dak Prescott to help elevate him and fix some of the issues in that offense that came home to roost and came home to bite them in that playoff loss to the, the Niners last year. Yeah, and for the number three wide receiver, I believe it's going to be Jalen Tolbert, but he didn't have that great of a preseason. And again, that might be because Cooper Rush is throwing the ball, Will Greer is throwing the ball, Ben DiNucci is throwing the ball. 
do you like his upside with Dak Prescott? Do you think he can't get any worse? You know, I still wouldn't rule out the Cowboys being one of these teams that shops for wide receivers after the waiver wire. I, I don't think that the receivers that they carry today after 4 p.m. are going to be the receivers who line up week one. And I still think that there are names floating out there like a T.Y. Hilton, like an Odell Beckham Jr. perhaps. There are names out there that are high-impact, veteran, reliable wide receivers that I think the Cowboys need to kick the tires on. And I wrote in my national column a couple weeks ago speaking to Randy Mueller, who is a contributor at Heavy.com and a former NFL executive of the year. And he said point blank, if he were in that general manager's seat in Dallas, he'd be shopping for veteran wide receiver help. And I think that's an area I agree that the Cowboys need to upgrade after cuts via trade something. Because I don't know how you go into this season uh, with Colbert as your number three wide receiver. And, and I like C.D. Lamb a lot. I think C.D. Lamb could be a guy who really takes another big step. But I don't think C.D. Lamb is a guy who can carry that wide receiving court on his own. And, and I think that you need to surround Dak Prescott with game changers. And I just don't see a collection of game changers right now in Dallas. Do you think Dallas hit their ceiling last year? Was last year the year for them to actually go to the Super Bowl? And is that window closed? You know, it's really tough to say, Jeff, because I think the NFC is really wide open, right? I look at the AFC and I can make a legitimate Super Bowl argument for six, seven, eight teams. You know, you look at uh, the Chargers, the Chiefs, you look at uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, maybe the Ravens go worse to first. The Raiders are going to be in the mix there. If you tell me that any of those teams go to the Super Bowl, the, the Buffalo Bills are the most complete team in football, the prohibitive Super Bowl favorites. You tell me any of those six or seven teams go to the Super Bowl, I'm going to say, okay, I believe you. That's very possible. In the NFC, it's really wide open. I mean, you take the Green Bay Packers, you take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then it's everybody else. And I think that the NFC East is still very much a two-team race between the Cowboys and the Eagles. I think the Eagles are better. I think they have a more complete roster top to bottom, and I think they're deeper. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the division and make a long playoff run. The biggest issue with the Cowboys right now, Jeff, behind the uncertainty at wide receiver and some of the issues on offense, I don't know that they can overcome the coaching of Mike McCarthy. I think that this is still a very undisciplined football team. You saw the penalties really come home to roost in that playoff loss. You saw some of the questionable decisions, albeit on fourth down, some of the play calling selections that were made late last year. I don't know that the Cowboys are a team that can win because of their head coach. They have to win in spite of their head coach. And I think when you start to hear all of these back-channel whispers about Jerry Jones' flirtation with Sean Payton, when he has Mike McCarthy on staff, where there's smoke like that, I think there's you know at least a spark of fire. And when you're going into the year, not necessarily all in on your head coach, I think that's telling about where you are as a team, where you are as an organization, and how your ceiling is for the upcoming year. It does feel like an impending divorce, right? Because he said, well, I love Mike McCarthy, but I could do better. It just feels like, you know, just kind of that that whole, you're about to divorce your wife because you're dating someone on the side. And <laughs> like Sean Payton might be that guy. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think that it wouldn't surprise me if the move to step away from the Saints wasn't with one eye towards ultimately winding up either in the TV booth or possibly in Dallas. And, and I think that that could be a situation where you talk about the Super Bowl window being open or closed. It might be closing with Mike McCarthy, but if you put Sean Payton on the sidelines in a year or two, I think the Cowboys are a very dangerous team because I think, again, they have a ta the talent there. The defense is going to be better this year. I, I love signing Anthony Barr. 
putting him alongside Micah Parsons, letting Parsons return to the edge, which is his natural position. And you saw the impact that he made there last year. I love the secondary with Diggs and some of the other pieces they have on the back end. The Cowboys defense, I think, is going to be the driving force behind their run this season. And it might be what you build around in coming years. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the secondary too. Anthony Brown's not a bad player. So I kind of like what they're doing there too. I think their defensive line is the strength of that football team, don't you? I do. And I think it's it's real, it really comes down to the front seven. And I think that, you know, they're a team that can get front line pressure. They blitz you relentlessly when they have to. And I look at Dan Quinn. He should have got a head coaching job this past offseason. And I think that he has the talent in place to keep the Cowboys in a lot of games because of their defense. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's a head coach somewhere around the league this coming cycle. Speaking of those types of coaches, Jonathan Gannon, I, I did want to bring him up because Eagles fans, to put it nicely, they're lukewarm on him, but I don't think they believe in him. And I've defended him saying he's got more talent this year, but around the league, there's a lot of talk that he could be in line for the next head coaching job, but what does he have to do to get that? Yeah, I'm more in the, the latter part of that conversation than the former. I think Jonathan Gannon has the chance to be a head coach next year. And I think that a lot of the Eagles fan skepticism, I think it's rooted on what they saw out of him a year ago. But, you know, talking to sources around the league about this situation, and I wrote about it a couple weeks ago in the column, it's really hard for a defensive coordinator to arrive in a situation where you've inherited the pieces and you're trying to build your scheme with players who weren't handpicked by you for that scheme. And you look what they did this year. They bring in Hassan Reddick, who was top 10 in pass rush win rate on ESPN. They draft Jordan Davis. They, they find insane value in N'Kobe Dean. They pick James Bradbury, who is about a year removed from being an all pro at the cornerback position. They're loaded with playmakers at all three levels now. And, and you know, the players they drafted in the NFL draft don't for a second think that Jonathan Gannon didn't have some sort of input, maybe significant input, over Howie Roseman's decision based upon how to use these guys, how they fit the scheme. The free agents they signed in were essentially handpicked by Jonathan Gannon alongside Howie Roseman. So Gannon now has his pieces to run his scheme. And it wouldn't shock me, Jeff, if you look at the Eagles' defense at the end of the year and you look up and they're a top five or so unit in the NFL and one of the most improved units across the entire league just based on the fact that Jonathan Gannon has his pieces in place. And if that's the case, he's going to get a job somewhere next year. When the Eagles saw Jaquaski Tartan in late June, I, I figured, okay, this can't hurt. If he's bad, you cut him. If not, you just pay him 500000 guaranteed, right? What happened there? He, he just never got his foot off the ground. I think that happens, especially when you sign guys late in the offseason. I mean, you saw the same thing in Miami with Sonny Michel. He didn't sign until the middle of July, and now he's out on the street after not really getting his footing underneath him uh, offensively in Miami. But for the Eagles, I think the more impactful signing and one of the more underrated additions they've made all offseason is bringing in Kazir White. I mean, you have a veteran presence at inside linebacker with a little bit of scheme familiarity who's a, a magnet for the football. And he's going to wear the green dot. He's going to call the system. And I think that having that veteran presence in the middle, I think that's really going to help them significantly on defense. Do you think that Kobe Dean starts week one? I think there's a chance, you know, and he's a guy that does a little bit of everything, right? I mean, you can move him around. You can weaponize him off the edge a little bit. You can put him inside. You know, I, I think he's a guy that if he flashes, you know, throughout practice and, and you know, going into the regular season, I, I don't know that you can keep him off the field. This is the tough part for me, especially with this division. I don't want to write off the Giants, but 
I don't think it's going to be a very good year for them. Just look at the roster. and I kind of feel bad for Daniel Jones right now, which is hard for me to do because he's got no one to throw to, Matt. Absolutely no one. It's, Kenny Galladay does make this team, right? You think? I mean, it's kind of cost prohibitive for them to move on from him as a cut. I think they have to eat something like $21 million against the cap this year, that, which they don't have. And, you know, say what you will about Joe Shane. I think the Giants have a really bright future because Joe Shane was so restricted this offseason because they have the second most cap space in the NFL next season behind the Chicago Bears. You know, they were not going to restructure and follow with the mistakes of Dave Gettleman, restructuring contracts and pushing money into the following season just to get by this year. They were very diligent about that through free agency. They weren't going to be big spenders. They were going to kind of take their lumps this year. And, you know, they brought in some Band-Aids along the offensive line, John Feliciano at center, uh, Mark Lewinsky at guard. They, I think they hit a home run with the Evan Neal pick in the NFL draft. I think they now have two bookend tackles. But the point here is I, don't, I think Kenny Galladay is on this team because they can cut him after this season and get a cost benefit against the cap. And I just don't see Joe Shane, you know, messing with that cap space they have next year after being so diligent and so restricted in terms of not overspending and not pushing money into next season to try to put a winner on the field this year. Now, obviously that's going to make it a lot tougher to evaluate Daniel Jones, who I think his days in New York are very numbered, but you know, I think that they're a quarterback away from being a team that can make some noise. You know, I think that you look at Kadarius Tony. He's going to be significantly better this year. I think this scheme really benefits him. Wandale Robinson is a player to watch as a rookie. I think that he's going to really surprise a lot of people. And, you know, talking to sources around the league, Brian Dable was going to make a concerted effort to get Saquon Barkley the ball in space. It's not just going to be using him as a running back. They showed this a couple times in training camp, but there is a significant plan and a significant part of the offense lining up Saquon Barkley in the slot, using him as a receiver, motioning him out of the slot, using him on wheel routes and such. In a lot of ways, what you saw out of him at Penn State, I think this coaching staff realizes what Joe Judge's staff and Pat Shermer's staff failed to is that Saquon Barkley is a dangerous space player. He's not a guy who's going to be – he's going to hit the home run out of the backfield. But when your offensive line can't open up the running lanes, you're really wasting his talent if you're just going to run him up the A-gap or try to run him off tackle. You need to get him the ball in the open field. I think this offense is going to do that. But but overall, you know, I think Saquon Barkley is going to be, you know, better if he stays healthy. I think Kadarius Tony is going to be an impact player. There's a lot of holes on the offense. I think the defense is going to be better this year. I think their secondary is really coming together, and there's a lot of young talent there. But I'm with you. I think this is a team that's more competitive in games. But I don't think they win more than five games, six games tops this season. But next year, when they have the spending flexibility, when they potentially have another top 10 pick, when you're potentially looking at developing a young rookie quarterback or controlling the veteran quarterback market and dropping into that system with all that talent around him, I think that the, the Giants are one of these teams that are a year away from being kind of dangerous. But it's going to be pretty ugly and go through some growing pains this year. Is Saquon Barkley part of that future? That, you know, that's that's the $80 million question, right? Because I think it all depends on what he does this year. If he stays healthy for 17 games and he's one of these 2,000 yards from scrimmage back with, you know, 1,200 rushing yards, 800 receiving yards, it's hard to move on from that, right? But the flip side of that coin is 
you have a GM who understands positional value now. You have a GM who now understands that you don't pay running backs their second contracts. You have a general manager who is taking the long view of how to build a roster, something that his predecessor straddled the line between trying to win now and rebuild simultaneously, which we know doesn't work in this league. I think it's a coin flip whether Saquon Barkley's in a Giants uniform in 2023 or not. How about Miles Sanders? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think the Eagles are another team that they can just they just seem like they have the offensive line in place. It's a top five offensive line every year that I, I don't think that they're they need to pay for a Miles Sanders. I think they can dip into the draft and take a running back in round two or round three again, like they did Miles Sanders in round two in 2019. I, I think they're a team. They, they could move on from their running back and drop a, a running back back there and be just as, if not more productive with that new back than they are with Sanders. I guess, you know, it, this is funny, Matt. I'm in the middle of my second show and I have not mentioned Jalen Hurts once. So <laughs> I have to mention him now. What do you, what are you hearing about Jalen Hurts? What do you think the Eagles think of him? Just uh, overall, what has been the national consensus on? Yeah, I think it really depends who you talk to, right? I mean, there's sources around the league who say the Eagles are a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team, and people are just really skeptical that Jalen Hurts can take that next step. But there are other people who think that they're going about this the right way, that they're building the perfect sort of supporting cast and offensive line around him to facilitate him taking a big leap. And, and that you look at, you know, Kyler Murray's path in Arizona, and you look at kind of his trajectory from surprise number one overall pick to kind of inconsistent rookie to all of a sudden top 10 quarterback in the NFL, that that could be the type of leap that Jalen Hurts makes this season. I, I think that's a little bit far-fetched, but I don't know why with this supporting cast, with this offensive line in this system, a, a second year in the same system, which is just huge for Jalen Hurts, I don't see why he can't be a 3,100-yard, 32-touchdown, 10-interception type of player. And if that's the case, the Eagles are going to win a lot of games because that defense is really good too. And if Jalen Hurts makes that kind of leap, you found your quarterback, right? You don't need to go looking for the quarterback next year. And then you have two first round picks to build around him. So that's where I think Howie Roseman has done really a marvelous job in terms of setting the Eagles up here for optionality at the quarterback. And in terms of extending this Super Bowl window, if you will, because if he's the guy, you can build a pretty dynamic team around him with those assets. And if he's not, you're going to be the team that's the leader in the clubhouse for whoever the hot veteran quarterback is this offseason or to move up and go get one of the top quarterbacks in this draft class. So I think, Hertz, you know, if you twist my arm, give me, you know, truth serum. I think he makes the leap because they've done everything to facilitate him doing so. Is it fair to say his ceiling is Dak Prescott or can it be higher than that? I think it can be a little bit higher than that. And I think that the Eagles have done a much, much better job of building around him than Dallas has in building around Dak Prescott this year. You know, you look at what they had a year ago, and you had Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb, not to mention those running backs, not to mention that offensive line. That should have been a Super Bowl team. You know, that, that team should have gone NFC championship game at minimum, and they didn't make it there for a lot of reasons. Again, we go back to Mike McCarthy. We go back to the undisciplined. We go back to the penalties. Dak Prescott should have taken them much further than a home wild card round loss to the San Francisco 49ers. I think Jalen Hurts can be better than that. I think he could. The question for Jalen Hurts, and I've heard this from a number of different places, is can he be the catalyst for the Eagles making the postseason and making the run because of Jalen Hurts? 
or are they going to make the postseason because he's riding along with the supporting cast? If he's the catalyst, they're going to be able to commit to him long term. But if he's just a guy who's riding the number one running game in the NFL, if he's just a guy benefiting from a great defense, I think the Eagles can do better. So what about Andre Dillard? I know there's been talk, maybe the Eagles trade him. I, I don't think they should personally, but have you heard anything about if teams have inquired on Dillard? I haven't heard anything as far as any trade offers being made, and I'm not even sure how strong the interest is around the league. You know, Dillard's a guy that if you can get an asset for him, great. But I don't know that I would mess with offensive line depth. I don't know that, you know, you have this this dynamic top five or so offensive line in the NFL. Andre Dillard's a really nice veteran backup, a veteran piece. To, I, I don't know that you, you mess with that. Yeah, and that's the thing with Dillard too, right? If, say, Jordan Malava go down week one, who do you go with? I mean, do you right. do you move Lane over? Do you go with Jack Driscoll? I, I mean, I couldn't even tell you who the Eagles would go to. So, so yeah, you're right. It, offensive wide depth's key. And, I mean, you're seeing the situation in Dallas. For sure. And I think the Eagles saw a glimpse of it a year ago when Brandon Brooks went down. I, I think that, you know, not having that quality backup to step in and, and kind of stop the bleeding, I think you need that in the NFL along the offensive line. And the Eagles have done a great job of building their two deep along the line for the last half decade. And I just don't see, unless you're getting blown away by some sort of offer, I don't see where moving on from Dillard makes a whole lot of sense. How do you think Tyler Smith's going to fare? Because I think he's a pretty good run blocker, but pass protection, I don't know if he's ready for that yet. Yeah, I mean, it, I think time's going to tell. I mean, it's it's a lot different, you know, doing it in college and facing the, the live ammunition of NFL pass rushes every week. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how that plays out. Uh, finally, Matt, Kayvon Thibodeau. I, I was really high on him going into the draft. I thought he could have been up there with Ian Hutchinson. I thought New York got such a steal for him, just where he was picked. Uh, what is What are your thoughts on Kayvon Thibodeau based on what you heard and what is basically going to be his ceiling for this defense this year? Yeah, you know, from what I heard and what I saw are kind of two different things, right? Because you hear from people around the league, and he's one of the more enigmatic prospects that we've seen in a lot of years, very polarizing. I mean, you have general manager who said, you know, I love the explosiveness. I love the ceiling. I love the athleticism. I love the upside. You know, I think this guy can be close to a double-digit sack guy right away or in a year down the line. Then you have other guy, other people inside the league who say that, you know, here's somebody who turns it on when he wants to turn it on. You know, kind of turns a lot of people off in terms of how he carries himself off the field. Um, and, and kind of the, the light switch player effect turned off a lot of people inside the league. But, you know, watching him at Giants training camp, I was up there for two practices this year. You know, watching him, he has an explosive first step has elite bend off the edge. And I think he's one of these foundational building block pieces for the Giants front seven. What happened to him in the preseason is kind of a shame. I think that, you know, it's going to stunt his growth a little bit with that injury and lower body injuries, especially the pass rushers. Sometimes they can linger and have lingering effects. So that was kind of disappointing to see. But I think Thibodeau is a guy that went healthy. He's going to be a matchup nightmare for opposing tackles, especially in Don Wink Martindale's scheme that just brings relentless pressure from all angles. And you can move him around, stand him up, put his hand in the dirt, just get after the quarterback with him. Um, I think it's going to be real exciting to watch. And I think that in Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, the Giants got two really solid building block pieces in this draft. And they might have gotten a third in Wondell Robinson, who had a really dynamic training camp. And there are a lot of people inside the league who are really high on him. Some have even compared him to Darren Sproles. So I think that the, the Giants have some nice young pieces. Again, I think that 
they're going to be more competitive for Brian Dable this year, but I don't think they're going to win a lot more games. But I think that a catalyst to them turning that corner is going to be Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal from this class. Matt, where can everybody find your stuff at? Yeah, you know, I'm all over. You can read me at heavy.com. I have a national column that comes out every Wednesday morning. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all the same username, at Matt Lombardo NFL, and uh, on, on fun places like this on your show. Oh, thanks, Matt. Once again, I'm going to have to have you on. Uh, this was great conversation. I, I love how you have an NFC East background. It's perfect for this show, and I'll, I'll be getting on again soon. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Sounds great, Jeff. Really enjoyed it. Congrats yeah. on the new show. Oh, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Well, Matt Lombardo, everybody. And I'll tell you what, guys, that was a fun conversation. Um, and I got to give a shout out to my boy, Joey McDowell, because we're going to put a bow on the show right after this. Go passionately, go fearlessly, go confidently. Go birds! <clears throat> go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust. Go birds! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. A Philadelphia treasure. He's a mentor. A pace setter. Jim is my North Star. He's trusted. Revered. Appreciated. He is Action News. He's compassionate. Honest. And fair. He is extremely dedicated. Motivated. And always seeking the truth. He's also funny. We are a team of many. Jim Gardner is our leader. And we're lucky to have him. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the pulls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly go for the story and the stories go for the win go to ocean casino resort book your trip at theoceanac.com
only got about two or three minutes, but Matt Lombardo with some heavy hitting. Uh, get it heavy.com. I, I know I'm jokes here, but <laughs> but how about Alexander Madison and Sonny Michelle are two names to watch for the Philadelphia Eagles? And I know you Eagles fans are probably like, we need a running back, we need a running back. They do, but I, I'm still under the conviction that Matt Lombardo and I could probably get the yard behind that offensive line. That's how good their offensive line is, but. Yeah, if the Eagles are interested in Alexander Madison, that, that'd be a, a really nice pickup for them because they need some depth behind Miles Sanders, and that's not a knock on Boston Scott. That's not a knock on Kenny Gainwell. But if Miles Sanders' hamstring injury lingers throughout the year, and Eagles fans know about the injury history with Miles Sanders. It always seems like he's missing time for something. You kind of need somebody in there to fill in a feature role for a couple games. Scott can do it for a game. Gainwell can do it for a game. They both can contribute for two or three games, but Alexander Madison's a different animal. Uh, Sonny Michelle carried the Patriots offense a couple years ago to a Super Bowl. Remember he had 363 yards and six touchdowns in the postseason? So you know Sonny Michelle can do it too. And Sonny Michelle's going to be on the waiver wire at 12.01 p.m. tomorrow, Wednesday. You're going to have to watch out for Sonny Michelle. So Alexander Madison, I, I, again, if the Eagles can part ways with fourth or fifth round pick for him, I, I see you do it. I really would like that, but again, like what Matt said, 16 teams are called. The Eagles are one of them. It's it's where the Vikings actually want to move on from Alexander Madison or not. And it's going to be a free agent after the year. Be a nice pickup for Philadelphia. But again, if the Eagles want to test the waiver wire, say Michelle. There's going to be a couple other options out there, like Kenyon Drake, but just something to ponder here. Um, and we'll talk about this tomorrow on Good Morning NFC East. Again, thank you to Matt Lombardo. Awesome guest. We're definitely going to have him on uh, throughout the season. Matt's a great guy, known for a number of years. But overall, episode two in the books, guys. Um, we'll talk 53-man rosters tomorrow. We'll talk what moves every team's going to make. Look, we got nine days till kickoff. Nine days till the season kicks off between the Bills and the Rams. And we'll preview some week one NFC East games later on this week. But once again, I'm Jeff Kerr. Tune in to Birds 365 with my boys, Joe McDonald and John McMullen. Have a good day, everybody. Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.